0: Well, a couple of weeks ago you may remember that uh, the chief butler and the chief baker of uh, Pharaoh were thrown into the same prison that Joseph was a prisoner in and you'll remember that over the course of time Joseph was able to develop somewhat of a relationship with them and they soon found themselves after some amount of time in the prison the butler and the baker they both dreamed a dream on the same night similar in nature but Vastly different by way of interpretation, but they dreamed this dream. They did not know what it meant, so they were stirred and they were grieved by this dream, by the dreams that they had. And Joseph noticed the fact that they were sad, the fact that they had a change in their countenance and a change in their spirit. And so he asked them why they were sad, and they told Joseph about the dreams that they had and that they were uh, they were uncertain as to what it meant and so in verse number eight uh... joseph reminded them that interpretations belong to god and so last week we watched as the men began to tell the dreams to joseph and the butler began and talked about what took place in his dream and joseph said here's what's going to happen and i'm shortening this tonight just because it's review but uh... joseph said this in three days you're going to be restored into your position in three days you'll be back to where you were some time ago and of course that was good news that is what the butler wanted to hear And upon hearing that good news, the baker was excited to tell Joseph about his dream. And so the baker went on to say what took place in his dream. And Joseph said, this is what this means for you. In three days you will be hung and the birds will eat your flesh. Again, quite the difference in interpretation and not one that was positive, not one that was exciting, and not an interpretation that was encouraging. But here is what Joseph understood. You have to tell the bad with the good. You cannot just present good news and refuse to refrain or or refrain from sharing bad news with people just because you know they won't like it. And so last week I I tried to show us and I tried to remind us that over the course of our lives there are going to be times that we need to say some things to people that we know are difficult for them to hear. They're, They're not going to like it. They're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to say, well, thank you. That was so wonderful. That was a blessing to me. But sometimes we do need to hear things that we don't want to hear, and sometimes we need to be the one who is willing to say some things that another person doesn't want to hear. And uh, if if we care about the person, that is what we will be willing to do. So that's what we dealt with last week, and tonight we're going to be moving on while in this same chapter. And uh, I want to start with just a quick thought tonight. I think many of you would say that... Uh, You are in the same category as me. I want to begin tonight by saying this. I love music. I don't know if you like music or not. I don't know if you have a real fondness for it, but I love music, and and I have loved music for a long time, and uh, frankly, I know this may not settle well with everyone in the world who may hear this, but I'm of the mindset the more the instruments, the better, provided it sounds right. You know, I don't want just a bunch of instruments just for the sake of sound or just for the sake of, of volume. But, but if, if the instruments are being played properly, if they're being played uh, appropriately, I like the way a lot of instruments can blend and, and give a sound and bring forth the music and make it alive. Here's what I know, in order for that to come together, in order for that to sound the way that it's supposed to sound, whether it be orchestration or strings or or, or whatever it is, here's what I know, that someone has to arrange the music. There has to be an arranger. Now right there is where you lose me. Because if someone said, Kyle, sit down and arrange some music, you know what I'd say? I would say, I don't have the first... Idea as to what to do to arrange music. I mean, I could put some notes over here, and I could put some notes over here, and I could put some notes up here, and I could put some notes down here, but if you tried to play it, well, I mean, it'd be an absolute mess. I have no idea how to arrange music. So if somebody said we've got all these instruments and we're going to play a simple old song like Amazing Grace, and Kyle, all you have to do is tell the piano when to come in, tell the trumpets when to come in, tell the drums when to come in, tell the guitarist when to come in. All you've got to do is tell them when to come in on their part. You know what we'd have? We'd have a train wreck. It would be horrible. Because I don't know how to arrange music and make it sound right. But I am thankful for this truth, that there are people who know how to arrange music. See, I don't know how to do it, but whenever I hear it and I like it, that's when my body or my spirit or my flesh says, man, that's good. Sometimes I hear it from a spiritual standpoint and I say, man, what a blessing. Did you hear that, Susie? Did you hear that that fiddle in the background? Or did you hear that harmonica? Man, that that was just amazing and how it came in. That was such a blessing. And and sometimes there are songs out there that are not wicked and ungodly, but they're not Christian either. You know, there's a, a Christmas song right now that I'm listening to. All I Want for Christmas is You. It doesn't make any sense to listen to it in July, but you know one of the reasons I'm listening to it? It's because I love the instrumental in it. It is just absolutely incredible, and it doesn't feed my spirit, but it does feed my flesh, and I'm just sitting there just saying, All I Want for Christmas is You in the middle of July, singing it all by myself. (laughs) Anyways, you don't care. I'm just telling you, sometimes the music ministers to your spirit. Sometimes it ministers to your flesh. But, but when you hear it, or whenever I hear it, I should say, it's just like, wow, that is incredible. Now imagine for a moment, with my lack of understanding on how to arrange music, knowing that it would be a train wreck if I decided to try, imagine if I was sitting with someone who is an arranger. Do you think they might do some things that I don't understand? Well, obviously. If I don't know anything about music and, and the arranger starts doing this or doing this or moving some notes here or telling this person to come in here and this person to, to, to soften it up some, but for this person to play louder, do you think at some point I might be saying something like this? Now, now what's that for? Now, 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 why did you have them do that? You see how this might happen if I were sitting with the arranger? And the person may humor me for a little while, but I I think at some point, you know what they'd say? Just shut up and trust me. You don't know what you're doing. I do know what I'm doing. Just shut up and trust me. And imagine for just a moment if I started trying to give the arranger some tips. Keeping in mind, I really don't know what I'm doing. I just know good music when I hear it. You think the arranger at some point may say something like this? I got it. I know what I'm doing. I really don't need your help. I really don't need your input. I've done this one other time. I know what I'm doing. Now tonight I want us to think about something. I want us to think about the age of joseph when when we were introduced to him back in chapter 38 or 37 he was 17 years old correct that's how old joseph was whenever we were introduced to him and 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 we have no reason to believe that that Joseph was 21, 22, 23 years old whenever everything everything began to develop in his life, It, it seems to make sense that about the age of 17, maybe the age of 18, is when his brothers beat him up, threw him in the pit, and then eventually sold him into slavery where he later found himself in Egypt. If you jump over, and I'm not asking you to do it right now, but if you jump over to chapter 41, verse number 46, here's what you're reminded of, is that when Joseph stood before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams, Joseph was 30 years old. So best we can tell, about 13 years of Joseph's life has been spent as a slave, as a servant, or as a prisoner in the land of Egypt. So over a third of his life has been spent as a servant or as a slave or as a prisoner there in the land of Egypt. To this point now, where we're at in chapter 40, here is Joseph. We don't know how long he's been here, but we do know this, that at, at chapter 40, at least 11 years have passed. From the time he was 17 to the time he had his encounter or his dealings with the butler and the baker. Now remember, he's just interpreted interpreted the dream for the butler, and he gave him wonderful news, and the butler had to be excited about this. So notice what happens in verse number 14. Joseph says to the butler, "...but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness." I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing, that they should put me into the dungeon. Now I want us to think about this for just a moment. Who is Joseph addressing in verses 14 and 15? He's addressing a butler, correct? Now, now, you understand this as well as I do, that in a kingdom or in a palace, there were certainly many levels or many positions of influence and power in a kingdom, many people who would have the ear of the king, much like a presidential uh, uh, Presidential, what, what, what was the, administration? That was the word I was looking for. Sorry, much like a presidential administration would have many people, who in their administration would have their ear and have influence. Does this make sense? All right. When you and I think of influential people in an administration, we obviously think of a president, we think of a vice president, we may think of a chief of staff, we may think of a secretary of state. There are many different people that we would think of, but you and I never think of prominent, powerful, influential people in an administration and think about butlers and bakers. I would suspect that most of us tonight have no idea what the names are of any butlers who have ever served any of our presidents. Because they're not powerful, influential people. Now I I say that to try to get our thoughts going in a particular direction, okay? I, I want us to think about this. Here is Joseph and he is speaking to the chief butler. now. Don't get this wrong, it's a good position to have. It was a good place to be to be the chief butler. At least he had some authority over some people, but let's not pretend that the chief butler was someone who was involved in policy making with the king. This is not someone who would have had a lot of influence in the affairs Of the king. I mean, this was someone who had a very specific role, who would do that role, who would do that function, but the butler was not brought in on regular occasions to get his advice or his opinion on affairs of things that mattered. Now, I say that to try to bring our attention to this thought. That whenever Joseph speaks to the chief butler, if Joseph is thinking straight and if Joseph is thinking clearly, he recognizes this is not the most powerful man in the kingdom, you know, just under the king. But what is the butler to Joseph? Joseph's connection to the butler is Joseph's only connection at this point, best we can tell, to the outside world. This is Joseph's only connection to the free world. There may have been some other people. There there may have been some who came in and out of the dungeon from time to time that Joseph could have had a relationship with or or some kind of knowledge of, But, but this would have been the person seemingly, best we could tell, that would have been Joseph's closest connection to freedom And it's not much of a connection by way of power or influence or prominence. And yet he says to the butler, "...but think on me, or remember me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house." Why would Joseph say these things to the butler? And why would he go through his story in verse number 15, how he was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and brought there, and that he was put in the dungeon for having done nothing wrong? Why would he say that to a butler? The best I can tell would be something like this Joseph was desperate. Joseph was desperate to do whatever he could to change his situation. See, if Joseph was content in his situation, if Joseph had come to a point in his life where he had just accepted his circumstances for what they were, for how they were, whenever the butler learned by way of the interpretation that he would soon be a free man in just three days, if Joseph was content and satisfied with where he was at, you know what he would have said to the butler? I think he would have said something of this nature, something of this sort, Butler, I'm so thankful for your benefit or for your for your good fortune. I'm happy for what's happening in your life. And I don't think Joseph would have burdened the butler with his story and the plea to be remembered and to be let out of the dungeon. I think we see in Joseph his humanity, and I know I've touched on this in weeks past. But I think we see in verses 14 and 15 the humanity of Joseph coming out, saying something like this, expressing an idea like this, I don't like my circumstance. I don't like my situation. And I will grasp at any hope of freedom I have, anyone who could change or help change my circumstances. If Joseph was grasping at straws in hopes for freedom, we know he's been in prison or a servant or a slave, best we can tell, 10 to 11 years at this point. You think Joseph was struggling with discouragement at all? Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know, and I don't care. Do you think possibly for for just a moment in his his life or in his days, do do you think there was anything about Joseph that struggled with discouragement from time to time? Naturally, he would as a human being. Here he is, and he has spent a third of his life, over a third of his life, in captivity. He truly was stolen away from his land, the land of the Hebrews. And truly, he was in the dungeon because of false accusations brought against him. There is nothing about his life that should suggest to us that Joseph never struggled with frustration or discouragement in the midst of this circumstance. Now think for just a moment what Joseph did for the butler. He gave him great news. He gave him wonderful news. He gave him exciting news. He said, Sir, you're going to be restored in three days. All I am asking you to do is speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. Was that too much to ask? Well, of course it wasn't too much to ask. But notice what it says in verse number 21. I know that you know this, but I just want us to deal with this real quickly. Notice in verse number 21 it says, And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And notice what it says in verse number 23, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forgot him. Well, thanks. Right? Sir, three days ago, I gave you some wonderful news. Three days ago, I I gave you some news that was exciting. Three days ago, I, I gave you news that changed your world. And in comparison to the news I gave the baker, that was absolutely astounding news. And I am simply asking you to say something to Pharaoh on my behalf. And how did the butler repay him? By forgetting him. How long did he forget him? Notice in verse number 1 of chapter 41 it says this, And it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years. For two years the butler forgot about Joseph. Joseph. For two years Joseph never entered into the butler's mind or if it happened that Joseph entered the butler's mind the butler never acted upon what Joseph asked him to do. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph, you know, he he gets released, the butler does, and I'm thinking, okay, good, if everything goes right, maybe in a few days, maybe in a few days he'll have a chance to talk to Pharaoh. Maybe in the next, you know, week or so, maybe he'll be able to to talk to Pharaoh, and I I might, you know, have my circumstances changed. Can you imagine what it felt like for one week to turn into two weeks? For two weeks to turn into a month? Can you imagine what it felt like for one month to turn into two months, two months into four months, four months into eight months? And by the time, you know, a a year rolls around, it's starting to dawn on you, I don't think he's saying anything. Do you think Joseph is perfectly fine and perfectly content with where he's at right now? It seems hard to believe that he'd be perfectly fine with it. It seems hard to believe that he'd be perfectly content with the situation he's in. It seems as though he would be struggling. Now, what would he be struggling with? Obviously, he would be struggling with all of his life's circumstances the last 13 years. From the age of 17 to the age of 30... Humanly speaking, relatively little has gone right for him. There has been a 13-year span in his life. Almost half of his life has not gone well for him. Does that stink to anybody else or just to Joseph? I mean... Seventeen, freedom, apple of my father's eye, coat of many colors, brothers can't stand me because dad loves me the most, two, beat up, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, not to regain your freedom one day past that. Now think about this for just a moment. As Joseph looked over the last years of his life, I know that 30, by no stretch, is an old man, but he has gone from a teenager to a man in prison. For all he knows, that's the way he will die at some point in the future, years and years and years down the road. He has no reason to assume otherwise that his you know, that that his future is going to change. Uh, Again, I want us to think about how desperate he was. He reached out to a butler for his source of deliverance. Now, now here's what I want us to think about. If Joseph could be interviewed by us today and we could say, Joseph, tell us what was going through your mind, I think we would hear him admit to a lot of frustration, to a lot of discouragement, to a lot of questions, to a lot of I don't understand and, and things of that nature. But what would Joseph soon find out? Well, what Joseph would soon find out was this: is that while it did not look like it, God was perfectly arranging everything for Jonah's future promotion. Does this make sense? it could not be seen by the human eye what God was doing but what God was doing was arranging everything God was the one, and we know this to be true because Joseph will say it to his brothers later in the, in the end of the story, but, but what God was doing was strategically arranging things by having Joseph sold into slavery and brought into Egypt and there in the dungeon until he would one day stand before Pharaoh. And here is what God was doing. God was arranging everything so that it, when it was time for Joseph to be promoted and for Joseph to be put in place of authority Everything was ready, everything was prepared, and everything was as it should be. But again, for Joseph, there would have had to have been some questions. There would have had to have been some confusion and some moments possibly lying on his bed at night saying, God, I don't understand. God, I don't like this. God, I don't get it. Now tonight, I want to ask you something. How many of us in our minds think we know what a good life looks like? Think you know what a good life looks like? I think I know what a good life looks like. Here's what a good life looks like for me. Good health for me and good health for my children and Susie. Good good health for me and Susie and the kids, that's part of a good life. Part of a good life is a good living. If this isn't your version of a good life, I apologize, but I want good health and I want to make good money, okay? If you like, I don't like money, I, I, I hate it, that, that's... Fine, you don't have to have that. It's just, for me, I like money. Okay. (laughs) If you don't like money, enjoy being poor. I don't care. I'm just saying, I want good health and I want to make good money. And, you know, I I want some good friends. Good friends. I I like friends. Some of you don't, I can tell, but I like friends. Friends. A good church, I want to see good results and good fruit as a result of the effort and the labor of the church. Those are some of the elements of a good life for me. Good health, good job, good money, good friends, good ministry, etc., How good am I at arranging all that? Well, apparently I'm not too good at arranging it. For this reason. If I knew how to arrange everything to give me this good, perfect life, you know what I would have already done? I would have already done it and I would have already nailed it. See, my health is not up to me, and the Lord can remind me of that at any given moment. So I have health tonight, and my family has health tonight, only by the grace of God, but that could all be different within a matter of moments. Money is good. Not rich, but money's good. But that could all change. Overnight. Those things that have happened, they're not because I arranged it, but because God has allowed it. Now now think about this for just a moment. Do I have some good friends? I do have some good friends, but again, only by the grace of God. Do I get to be a part of a good church? Yes, I get to be a part of a good church but only by the grace of God. Now, I'm just going to be very transparent with you, and this won't surprise most of you, but you know where I struggle the most right now? Good fruit. Good results. Something visible and tangible that I could put my hands on and say, that is the result of ministry effort right there. Because see, here's what I struggle with probably more than I sh- you know would let on and, and, and I don't want to say too much about it, but here's what I struggle with more than I, I wish. God... Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Lord, there's there's, there's been almost 15 years put here. And Wednesday nights are about like Wednesday nights have always been. Sunday mornings are a little bit better, but... You know we've had the ups and the downs, but we've we've, we've just kind of been flatlined lately. God, Sunday nights—I mean, we're, we're not seeing a, a lot of change. We're not seeing any increase, really. I mean, it's just it's just kind of been just this this flat line. So here's what's happened. By the grace of God, He's allowed many things to happen in my life that I would say those are good things. But there is that one element that I would say, boy, that that would make my life so much better. And you know what? It had not happened yet. Not the way that my heart would dream for it to happen. And I can't do anything to make it happen. You knock on people's doors and you say, hey, just want you to know we've been missing you. And they say, oh, yeah, we're going to be there. And they don't show up. You see people and years later, they're still struggling with the exact same things they were struggling with before. And it's just, you know what I mean? I can't arrange it. And every time I do try to arrange it, every time I try to force it, every time I I do try to make something happen, you know what I end up doing? I usually end up making a mess of things because I really don't know what I'm doing. And so then that leads to discouragement, and it leads to frustration, and it leads to questions like, God, why? Why is it still this way? God, why are we still struggling with this? God, why is this still happening? And and here's what I don't like to admit, but here's what I'm doing. I'm questioning the master arranger. I sing the song, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus," but I don't really mean it completely and entirely because if I was truly trusting in Jesus the way that I was supposed to, I would be willing to sit back and let the arranger arrange however he chose to arrange. But see, here's, like, here's what I do. I'm like Joseph, and I begin to grasp at anything I can to try to bring into my life that which I think will give me the happiness or the contentment or the fulfillment I'm longing for. Now, you may sit here tonight and you may say something like this, Man, I have everything I need. Brother Kyle, I I couldn't have more joy in this life than than I've got right now. Everything is perfect. Everything is fantastic. Everything is absolutely as it should be. And, 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 Brother Kyle, I don't ever struggle with discouragement. If that's you, please visit with me after church. And whether you like to talk about it openly or not, here's what happens in your life many times. If you would be honest, I think many times you'd have to say something like this. You find yourself discouraged with your own set of frustrations because things aren't happening in your life the way you want them to. So God, why isn't this happening? God, why isn't this happening? God, why isn't this happening? And, and, and I don't know that God would express it the same way that I would tonight, but I think sometimes when you and I are grasping at everything we can possibly think of to try to bring this ultimate fulfillment or satisfaction in our life, whatever it is we're searching for, I wonder sometimes if God wants to say to you and I, just shut up and trust me. I've done this one other time. <laughs> and if this is boring, I apologize, but I need this, okay? It, it, it's kind of like, do you not know the story of Joseph? And how whenever I got done arranging everything, listen, when I got done arranging everything, everything it sounded pretty good. Well, I know the story about Joseph, but hold on. He spent a third of his life not getting what he thought he was entitled to. Sure. Okay, well, if Joseph isn't good enough for you, how about uh, Moses? He spent 40 years on the backside of a wilderness. Well, you know that he was loving life on the backside of a wilderness watching his father in law sheep. That's what every Jew wanted to do with their life, right? Well, not at all. But what was God doing? God was masterfully arranging everything. Well, I mean, okay, well, okay, you've got Moses and you've got Joseph. Yeah, and, and there are plenty of other people throughout the scripture. One, oddly enough, that we never think of, but think about Christ himself. Every step he took was ordained by his father, God, and, and everything that took place in the life of Christ, it was God arranging that. Now, Christ was fortunate enough to know that, that he knew how everything was working out, but even Christ had to follow the master arrangement of God to bring him to the point of the cross, of the crucifixion, of the resurrection so that we might be here today, 2,000 years later, trying to remind ourselves that God knows what he's doing. Amen. Amen. I think sometimes we come to church and we're all melancholy. We come, down, you know, we come to church and, and, and we're just trying our best to smile, but it's as fake as fake can be. We're upset, we're irritated, we're bothered, we're frustrated, another bill just came in, whatever it is. And we fail to realize, so long as we're doing everything we can to be obedient to Him, God is arranging this. God, I feel like I've been forgotten for two years. Oh, well, you'll be fine. Moses only had 38 more after that. So God, where's the fruit at the church? God, why not more? Why aren't we seeing more things happening? Shut up, Kyle. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing in your life. I know what I'm doing in the church's life. I've done this one other time. It'll be okay when it's all finished. Well, hurry. Well, that's not how masterpieces work. And you can sit here this evening in silent judgment if you choose to, but I think many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to be frustrated. You know what it's like to be like Joseph, grasping at the simplest of things, hoping that that will be what changes your circumstances. Sit back. And relax and remember, God knows what he's doing. And when we finally get to witness the finished product, whatever it is, then it will be worth whatever weight we had to endure while he got all the pieces in place. Apparently, Joseph wasn't ready for what God was going to do for him when he was 25 or God would have done it five years earlier. And if you and I are going through one of those times where the, the music isn't making sense and we're questioning God, it, it might be this that, that we need to remember: I guess I'm not ready for what He's got preparing, what He's got prepared for me. Because if I was ready for it, or if he was ready for me to have it, I would already have it. It's just a thought. God might know what he's doing. Amen. question is whether or not we'll buy into that and accept it. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight, myself included. God, I, I, think, I think many of us can identify with the idea of questioning you and wondering what's going on.